Howdy, howdy, ladies and gentlemen, it's episode, I have no idea what fucking episode it is, number 12 maybe, of the Five Figures podcast, it's been a couple of weeks, I think this is probably just going to be my thing now, honestly, I'm not really talking for anyone in particular, because the views, I don't. I mean, I don't get many views on any of my podcasts, or, or any listens on like Spotify and whatnot, so it doesn't really, doesn't really concern me when no one's really listening, I think I just do this because it's fun, and because I enjoy being able to speak my speak my truth into a microphone and then upload it somewhere to review later on if I feel so inclined. So yes, this is probably just going to be the, the general gist, the general go is that this uh, this podcast isn't on, it's not on hiatus or anything. It's just that, fuck it, I feel like doing it every now and again. And you know, there are some weeks where I watch an event and I'm like, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I don't really care. But um, let's just jump in straight away. Let's talk about some things which I feel like I should talk about. First and foremost, uh, the Mike Perry video that I did 10 months ago has started popping off. The YouTube algorithm makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes it pushes my video to the fucking moon. Most of the time it fucking doesn't. It doesn't do shit. And I get like 300 views on a video which I, I spent quite a bit of time on. But that's all right. That's all good. When it does pick up, it is very exciting, and I very much enjoy it. It sends my heart, my heart, a racing. So, how delightful! So yes, that's up to like thirty-five thousand views now, which is cool. It's my first video since the Izzy versus Costa fight recap. To it's not viral. Thirty-five thousand views isn't that much, honestly. But it's the first time that it's gotten like a pretty significant boost in terms of viewership because usually they they just hit a plateau they hit like 10k if i'm if i'm lucky like the robert whitaker one that kind of got a boost went up to 10k and then just it's completely plateaued but this one yeah this one's got you know sat there for a while sitting at like 2k views and and now bada bing bada boom it's it's jumped up to 35k i'll check in a little bit and it's probably gone up a little more who knows what else is there? Well, I'm currently working on a Luke Rockhold video. We're going to be talking about Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa this weekend, which is high key. Let me let me break this down. This this entire card, eh? You know, there are some decent fights on it. Francisco Figueiredo's fighting Amir Al Albazi. I cannot remember Albazi off the top of my head, but Francisco Figueiredo I like. Who else is there on this? This one, Sean Woodson's back. That long, lanky motherfucker. He's heaps of fun. Can't wait to watch him. Leonardo Santos versus Jared Good, Jared, uh, Jared Gordon. That one's a that one's actually really good. I really like Jared Gordon. He's got a great backstory. And Leonardo Santos was kind of was one of those like unranked boogeymen for a while, but then he he lost recently. <laughs> Who did he lose to again? Hold up, hold up. I'm bringing it up now. Oh yeah, he had two two losses in a row. He lost via KO to Grant Dawson. I think he got tired. I think he got really tired in that fight. Oh, wait. That was the last second of the third round. What the fuck? Jesus, I misremembered that. And then, yeah, he lost to Clay Guida. That fight, he got tired in. Guida just tired him out and ended up choking him out. Yeah, that was... Yeah, Leonardo Santos, we were kind of like, oh, you know, he might be a thing. But then he just, he, he'd take years between fights. Like, well, he fought Kevin Lee back in 2015, beat him by TKO, then he didn't fight until October 2016, then he didn't fight until June 1st, 2019 versus Stevie Ray. He took, like, just under three years off between fighting Adriano Martins, Martins, I don't know, and Stevie Ray. Bro, what are you doing, man? I like him. He's a long, lanky motherfucker, and that should be a pretty good fight. And then Marcin Tabura is taking on Alexander Romanov. I don't care about Tabura, but I care about Romanov because he's fucking cool and he's got lat drops and shit. 
Yes, I like that. Yeah, the prelims and the early prelim card, not that, not that sensational. But the main card, oh my god, I've actually built this up. Wait, hold on a minute. What the fuck? I'm just looking at this main card now. What is this main card? Why is... Why is... Why is Putalova and Yanan on the main card? I feel like there was another fight. There was another fight destined for this main card that I've completely forgotten about. Maybe it was the Romanov-Tabura card? I don't know. This is fucking weird. Anyway, but no, there's there's some good fights on this fucking card. Like, shit. But we'll talk about that in a second, you know? Going back to why I brought this up. Yeah, I'm making a Luke Rockhold video. And I've just finished the script for it. I've only got like four days to finish it before the actual fight. So I've pretty much only got one day to finish it. I haven't even started editing this. I haven't even recorded the goddamn voiceover. It's long. It's fucking long. Most of it's basically just talking about how Luke Rockhold irritates the shit out of me because he can't hit takedowns. He's one of those guys. He's like Brian Ortega. He has... In fact, fuck it. Brian Ortega is the perfect comparison to him because his stand-up is solid and he's got some power, but he's pretty one-note. They're both pretty one-note in terms of the stand-up and they get hit too much for their own good. And then their real bread and butter, the shit that, that just hits, is their ground game, but they can't take motherfuckers down. And you, you watch you watch Luke, I mean, even against David Branch, who it was very clear, I think, that he was a much stronger fighter then. He he took a while to take him down at points. And, you know, he was working off of... I mean, he took him down in both rounds. He took him down with the body lock. Hit him with a lat drop in the first round, and then he hit him with... Like, he, he pulled out the the right leg of Branch, and then he, he elevated him and, and twisted. He was able to get the, the takedown that way off of the double underhooks, which is his favorite takedown. But yeah, I don't know, just... Watching, rewatching that fight, I was like, eh, you know, that, that takedown looked a lot more difficult than it probably should have for you. And then against Jan Blahovic, he just, he looked so lost. Jan just blocked everything, was using underhooks perfectly, was underhooking the chin. It's one of my favorite things. I love it when people do that. When they put it, they put their forearm underneath the chin and they pull up, it hurts so much if you're the one shooting. And I think it's just very much underutilized because it's one of those things that makes guys go, oh, fuck, fuck you. It's one of those things. And uh, I think Jan, Jan used it sensationally in the first round while he was defending the main takedown attempt. You know, it was, it was like a three-minute exchange where they were on the on the cage and Luke was trying to go for takedowns and he just couldn't get anything. I think he got, he got Jan down like once properly, but Jan pretty much popped up immediately. So, yes, Luke Rockhold is... Yeah, he's conflicting, like Brian Ortega, because the stand-up is cool, but it's pretty one-note, and then when he hits the ground, it's amazing, but he struggles to take guys there, and he only really gets guys there when they take him there. And it's like, bro, that is just not going to... It's not going to stand up against guys who... Well, when they know what you're going to do. They're not going to shoot on you, so... Ugh frustrating but yes it, it's a cool video and re-watching a bunch of luke rockhold's fights has made me go fuck man this paulo costa fight is going to slap someone's getting knocked the fuck out someone's getting finished it could be either of them or it could go to a really sloppy decision i don't know i don't really care honestly because i think it's going to be really entertaining regardless of what happens so yeah there's that also how deep into this are we thus far we are currently about nearly eight minutes in, so not too bad. Jack Jenkins. So I, I recently did a video 
not recently, like four months ago or something like that, I did a video on some Australian mixed martial arts uh, prospects. Who did I mention? I mentioned Sean Etchell, who did make it into that road to UFC thing that they did before the UFC event. What was it? 275? The one between Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska. Yes, that one took place in Singapore. And so what the UFC did was they did a road to UFC kind of tournament thing And they brought in a bunch of different fighters from Australasia and, you know, that kind of region around Singapore. And not not just saying that Australasia isn't the only fucking area around Singapore. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like, countries in the vicinity of Singapore. They brought in a bunch of fighters from there and they, they did basically a contender series thing. But I, I don't actually, I haven't kept up with it. Have they actually brought in any of the people who, who won fights in that? I have no fucking clue. Anyway, Sean Etchell got an opportunity in that, and I did highlight him in that Australian Prospects video. He he lost. He lost in the first round, I think. So that's a bit disappointing. But, you know, someone's listening to me clearly, because this is my second pick now, because Jack Jenkins is being brought into Dana White's Contender Series, which is a bit frustrating, because Jack Jenkins deserves to be paid appropriately, and if he wins his fight, he's going to be signed to a contract with the UFC. And it will be a 10 and 10 contract, just like Jack Della Maddalena. These are, these guys going through Eternal, because Eternal has a contract with the UFC for UFC Fight Pass distribution, what I think ends up happening is that they just kind of get fed through the Contender Series just naturally. I mean, it hasn't happened to many guys. I'm trying to think, who's been on Eternal? Uh, yeah, it's been like Della Maddalena and, and Jack Jenkins now. Not, not many other guys, but... Yeah, I just feel like this is what they're going to be doing from the future, uh, for the future. Sorry, and I don't like that because I don't like fighters on ten and ten contracts. But regardless, it's still exciting to see Jack Jenkins get an opportunity in the UFC. He deserves it. He's been fighting incredibly well recently. He actually did have a fight booked for an upcoming Eternal card, but that fight got cancelled. I-, I don't know what the situation was. I don't know whether the fight got cancelled because the UFC reached out and Jack went to Eternal and said, I'm going to take this opportunity because I think his opponent, yeah, Justin Van Hedin, Hedin, Hedin. Oh, he, he fights out of, what's it called? He fights out of Joe Lopez's gym with Alex, with Volkanovski. Shit, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, he's been, re- he's been rebooked with Khan Offley for that Eternal card. So yeah, I think what happened is Jack Jenkins got called up to the UFC, and so Eternal switched around the fights. And now, Khan Offley, who's Jack Jenkins' teammate out of Absolute MMA, he will be fighting on that Eternal card against Justin. Which is cool, because Khan is fucking good. He's fucking good. If you didn't see him uh, a little while ago, I'm trying to think. Khan had a fucking banger of a fight. He he won a fight recently uh, versus... Was it Yair Jr.? Was that it? The Bushido card? I just remember his fight versus... I think it was the one with against Rod Costa at Eternal MMA 59. That fight fucking slaps. Go watch that fight if you hadn't. It, if you have not. It is a great banger. It is incredible. Yes, watch that fight. I'm getting completely ahead of myself here. Now we're starting to talk about Eternal MMA. And that's not the point. Yeah, the point is, it's cool seeing Jack Jenkins get into the UFC, potentially. And, oh, what was that? Yes, the pay thing. The pay thing is irritating me. 
uh, because they actually did release payouts because it was in what, it was in California? Yeah, it was in California. So they released payouts because California, the, the California Athletic State Commission is not complete fucking ass like some of these other bitch boys. They released some payouts and they're terrible. They're so fucking bad. They are atrocious. Yes. You've got a couple of 12 and 12s. Dumb on Blackshear. He was getting paid 12 and 12. You have, here's the one, Breski. Now, was he on? I don't know whether he was on the Contender Series, but you had uh, Breski, who's fighting Martin Boudet on the prelims. He got paid 10K to lose. How delightful. I love that. He lost in a split decision, no less, as well. Can you imagine that? Losing in a fucking split decision, getting 10K? Like, shit, dude. That's fucking bullshit. It's fucking bullshit, okay? Yeah, just crazy shit. Dominic Cruz got paid 175k, and he was, you know, spending all this week going, I don't need a manager. I don't need a manager. It's like, bitch, you do need a fucking manager if you're only getting paid $175,000, and you have as many UFC fights as he does. How many, how many fights does he have? He's for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He's had 10 UFC fights, and obviously he fought in the WEC prior. And he's clearly a fucking draw. Do you really think that Dominic Cruz doesn't bring $175,000 worth of value to the company per fight? No. Who, who do you think was fucking watching this fight? A lot of Dominic fucking Cruz fans were. Do you think bitches were showing up for Nate Landwehr? I I love Nate Landwehr, and I kind of do show up for Nate Landwehr, but I showed up for Dominic Cruz versus Marlon Vera. Dominic Cruz was the A-side of that fucking fight, at least for a lot of people in terms of name value. Dominic Cruz was the A-side for that, that fight. So the fact that he was getting paid $175,000, fucking bullshit. But whatever, that's fine. That's fine. Nate Landwehr was getting paid 30 and 30 to, in the fucking co-main, and you're like, God damn it, these guys are policing them. What was the fucking gate, for example? The gate was 1.735 million. 1.735, and it rounds up technically, it should be 1.736 million, if I'm, if I'm shortening it. I haven't got a calculator out, but I would be surprised if the payouts reach the gate. If the payouts reach the gate. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not even in the fucking... You can't even use the excuse that they're in the apex. Because half the time it feels like they're using the excuse, oh, no, we're in the apex and there's no there's no gate. So therefore, we can't afford to pay our fighters, you know, a decent fucking minimum wage. Bah! No, you can't even use that, ex- that excuse because the Californian State Athletic Commission revealed that your gate was over 1.7 million. And you definitely didn't pay that amount or you, you paid around about that. Max. I again, I haven't got a calculator, so and I'm, I'm not going to do it right now because that would be a bit. You know, fuck it. Actually, hold on. I'm going to pause this and I'll come back in like two seconds. <laughs> That's funny. I paused, did all the calculations, and then realized that Wikipedia had the sum there written down. The total payout, the total disclosed payout for the event was 1.708 million. It was less than the gate. It was less than the gate. Now you could technically say, oh, but they gave fifty thousand dollar bonuses to Nate Landwehr, David Onama, Marlon Vera, and Tyson Nam. Sensational. Sensational. But that just brings it over the gate. Are you fucking serious? Because I can guarantee you, ESPN's paying them a lot more money for this card than that fucking gate, okay? 
Their, their deal with ESPN is fucking massive. And look at the amount of sponsors on the goddamn Octagon and how many times the commentators reference a sponsor. They're raking in money. They're raking in money. So, so the gate pays for the fucking fighters. And then they're trying to convince us, no, we, we earn nothing else. Shit, go fuck yourself. You know you earn fucking heaps more. You trying to tell me that those sponsors in the middle of the octagon don't pay anything? All right. All right, mate. Sure. You trying to tell me that ESPN pays nothing? Okay. All right, matesy. All right. Whatever you say. It's fucking bullshit. Anyway. Jesus Christ. I've waffled. I have waffled for a while now. It's been 16 minutes. Let's talk about some of the fights from, well, the past few weeks. What else have we had? What have I not covered? UFC 277 happened. I didn't really talk about it. I didn't I didn't do a fucking podcast. There were some great fights on there. Alejandro, Alejandro Pantoja had a great performance against Alex Perez. He's probably put himself in the conversation for a title shot after Moreno and Figueredo figure their shit out and have a fourth fight. Sergey Pavlovich... TKO Derek Lewis, and a bunch of people got pissed off, even though Derek Lewis fucking face-planted. I don't know. I thought it was a fair stoppage. You had Magomed Ankalaev defeated Anthony Smith, which was disappointing, because I put a bet down on Anthony Smith. So, uh, I'm crying now. Yeah, but... And there was... Uh, I, I posted a gif from the fight, but Hamdi Abdelwahab had a, had a fucking banger, honestly, with Dontal Mays. I thought Mays looked so good. I thought he looked really good. I was very... Yeah, I was impressed by him, and I was very impressed by Hamdi Abdelwahab. I thought his his wrestling looked very solid. He hit a lat drop, which I, I mistakenly called a suplex. The only reason I called it a suplex is because Daniel Cormier on the common, in the commentary called it a suplex himself, and I, I got it in my head that it was a suplex, even though it's a clear, like, it's a clear lat drop from the, from the body lock. I should have fucking known these things. I'm a dumbass. Sometimes we make mistakes, people. Everyone in the goddamn comments of that gif, they told me it was a mistake. I realize it, okay? I'm aware, okay? I apologize. But yeah, no. Hamdi Abdelwahab looked great in that fight. Yeah, that fight, that event was pretty decent. The main event was pretty solid. Amanda Nunez realized, hey, I can just use a check right hook. Was it a check right hook? It wasn't even a check right hook half the time. It was just a fucking solid counter right hook. She just kept using it again and again and again, and bada bing, bada boom, you know? Just switch to Southpaw. It's the key to everything. <laughs> Instead of developing tools to deal with the the slip jab from Orthodox, just switch stances. Learn a different stance. That's not true. I mean, Amanda Nunez has fought Southpaw on occasion throughout her career, so it wasn't a complete change-up of her game, but, like, shit. <laughs> Felt like a weird way to get around an issue. And then, obviously, the main event of that, that event was pretty much Brandon Moreno versus Kaikara France, which was just so fucking good. It was such a good fight. You know, just a really good fight. I thought Moreno started, he started dealing with the the outside low kicks that Kai was throwing and then Kai was fainting them and using the, them to set up his hands. He was going to the body really effectively. Ah, yeah, it was just a really sensational fight and I thought Moreno, he set up, I mean, that body kick. We were talking about how he throws the switch high kick, but we kind of neglected the switch body kick that he sometimes throws. Yeah, he just he threw that up there off of a combination, and it was like a step-up body kick. It's similar to the way that Jan Blahovic throws his step-up switch kick to the body. It's not a switch kick, a step-up body kick. Yeah, but it was landed flush and was able to get the finish. It was really cool. Can't wait to watch that trilogy fight with Figueredo. It'll be a banger. 
what else is there? We had Thiago Santos taking on Jamal Hill. They had a really good fight. Jeff Neal had a great performance against Vicente Luque, which was a bit disappointing to see if you're a Luque fan. Muhammad Usman versus Zach Puega. <laughs> Muhammad Usman is so fucking big, dude. Yeah, he countered a jab with a left hook. Got a knockout. Dude, test that, man. Test that motherfucker. Sergey Spivak got a finish over Augusto Sakai. We love that. We love that. Terrence McKinney got a finish. I love Terrence McKinney. He will never have a boring fight ever. He's so cool. And then Sam Alvey. Oh, I, I tweeted about it, as did everyone in the MMA world. Sam Alvey got knocked out by I can never remember his name and because I haven't heard it for like at least the past two or three days I will not be able to say it Mikhail Electricook Electricook fuck that was depressing yeah he got knocked the fuck out in just under two minutes and they finally let him go after parading about being the king of the anti-union movement in the UFC Sam Alvey has finally been let go after what was a fuck what was it like a 10 or an 11 fight losing streak it was bad. It was real bad. Yeah. I don't know how to feel. I don't like seeing people just experience misery, but he said so much dumb shit. He said so many dumb things, and it just infuriated me. It infuriated a lot of people. Mm. So it's not its not really a you-get-what-you-deserve kind of thing, but it's like, well... It, it was irritating that they were keeping him around just because he was parading about going, no, the UFC's fine, the UFC pays us fine, you know, and I can't have a union because that will reduce the amount that I can earn. It's like, that's a complete fundamental misunderstanding of how unions work. I need to make a video on this. I need to explain what a monopoly is. I need to explain what a monopsony is because a lot of motherfuckers don't understand that. The problem is the UFC is effectively a monopoly and a monopsony. A monopsony is the opposite of an, of an uh, of a monopoly. A monopoly is where there is one person selling to a number of consumers, okay? So if there's one company that makes fucking chips and there are no competitors, then everyone has to buy off that single company, okay? And then that company effectively determines the entire market. If you believe in capitalism, then monopolies are well, I mean, okay, we're not going to get into a whole fucking thing because this isn't the capitalism critique show, okay? But one of the main critiques of capitalism is that what you'll often find in capitalist societies or capitalist economies is that monopolies do end up intrinsically occurring or naturally occurring, sorry. And monopolies go against everything that capitalist doctrine, you know, capitalist doctrine is all about. It's about the free market. It's about competition. It's about the market being able to establish its own prices based on supply and demand. But if there's only one supplier, then they can completely they completely rig the market, essentially. And they can either inflate or deflate the price of something to their own whim. And that that isn't good for consumers. Yes, but a monopsony is the opposite. That's when there is one buyer for multiple suppliers. And the UFC is a monopoly in the sense that it is the easiest mixed martial arts organization for people to watch. It is it has the most fighters of any mixed martial arts organization in the world. It has this era that this what's it called? This um this air of integrity and professionalism. It's viewed as the sport as a whole. When 
a lot of people, a lot of casuals, when you ask them, what do you think of MMA? They go, oh, UFC? Yeah, it's a monopoly. That's what people intrinsically associate this sport with, okay? If you try and convince me that PFL or One or Bellator are on the same level or even have like a 25% market share, you're fucking wrong. They might in a specific demographic or a specific area. Like One has a pretty decent... They have a decent amount of the Asian audience for mixed martial arts. But even then, some of their biggest fights, a lot of their biggest fights are Muay Thai fights. Even Muay Thai fights in four-ounce gloves. That, that's not mixed martial arts. That's a significant portion of their pool. In fact, it's the main reason why I watch one is for their, their Muay Thai. Because they've got some fucking bangers in there. Obviously, Rod Tang and, and Haggerty and whatnot. Superbon and all that. Like, those motherfuckers fight in one, and you go to watch one for them, ultimately. Yeah, so they're a monopoly, and they're a monopsony because most fighters naturally gravitate towards the UFC, or their, uh, their intention is to make it to the UFC. Okay? So, the UFC will always have the pull of the best, su- the best suppliers. They are the, they are the biggest and the best buyer. And because of that, they kind of get to set their own prices. They get to set their own prices because, yes, PFL over there might be able to provide some competitive rates for a couple of fighters, but do you really think they can provide a competitive rate for every single UFC fighter? Do you really think that PFL and Bellator and One and all these organizations, that they can provide a competitive offer against the UFC for every single fighter? No. Most of these fighters, when they reach free agency, I mean, they don't reach free agency in the first place. They renegotiate a contract with the UFC because they know, because they believe that they're likely to get a better contract out of the UFC than they will a different organization. And as such, the UFC is the most prolific and considered the best buyer of all these suppliers, their services. As such, they kind of get to determine whatever price they fucking want. They're like, oh, we'll we'll pay you guys this amount. What, you're going to go to Bellator? You're not going to get as many eyes on you as you would in the UFC. You're not going to win a belt which people respect as much in the UFC. And fighters, fighters, they have a penchant for being obsessed with, what's it called? with the historical nature of an achievement, they want to be the greatest of all time, which is reasonable enough. Like You can't begrudge anyone for that. And so a lot of them will go to the UFC and get paid perhaps a little less because they want, they want to win the UFC championship. They want to win the belt there because it's considered the height of the sport. It's where you get the most eyes on you, you know? Anyway, I've fucking waffled on about this shit for ages. That is completely beside the point. It's not beside the point, but yeah. Just, that's why Sam Alvey's a fucking idiot. That's why you need collective bargaining. Because the UFC has all the power, and the only way that fighters get the leverage is if they band together, and then the middle class of fighter, they get a pay rise. The lower class of fighter, they get a huge pay rise. Not a huge pay rise, but, you know. Right now, on the Contender Series contracts, they're getting brought in on at 10 and 10 which is fucking bullshit. Dontel Mays, he came into the USC on a 10 and 10 contract. He fought Cyril fucking Garn on a 10 and 10 contract. Now, Cyril Garn got one of his best highlights against Dontel Mays, at least in the early portion of his career. And believe me, the USC got more than 10 grand worth of value out of that 
fucking highlight. Okay? 100%. I fucking guarantee it. So, you know, it's fucking bullshit, okay? And a collective bargaining agreement, a union, a unionization effort, it would lift that minimum pay from 10 grand, maybe up to 20 and 20. Even 15 and 15 would be better. But it used to be 12 and 12 was the fucking minimum, and now it's gone down to 10 and 10. It's fucking bullshit. Okay, I've, compl- I've waffled on. All right, let's talk about this this Cruz Vera card. Marlon Vera took on Dominic Cruz. Cruz, <laughs> it reminds me of the TJ Dillashaw fight because against TJ Dillashaw, the first two rounds, Dillashaw is essentially obsessed with the high kick. I think he got it into his head, and Dwayne Ludwig got it into TJ's head that you're going to high kick this motherfucker, and it's going to be a brutal KO, and people are going to be like, oh my God, TJ Dillashaw is a gangster. And so TJ's coming out and he's trying to set up his high kick. He's trying to set it up off of the straight right into the high kick or the straight left into the high kick, whatever. And Dom, he was so much faster back then. And he was able to get his head offline. And even when he wasn't backed up to the fence that much in that fight, a lot of that fight was actually fought in the middle of the octagon. Whereas this fight, a lot more of it was fought with Dominic, his back to the cage, because he's just not as fast. He just wasn't as fast in this matchup as he has been in the past. Additionally, his chin's not as good as it used to be. Pedro Munoz knocked him down multiple times. Cody Garbrandt obviously knocked him down multiple times. And now Marlon Vera knocked him down. He knocked him down in the first round with a left hook, a counter left hook, as Dom was stepping in. That was a really nice shot. I liked that a lot. Heard him later on as well. I think he knocked him down in the third round or something like that. I apologize. I can't remember exactly which round it was, but he heard him again. And then he switched southpaw. He switched southpaw and threw the one-two into the high kick and was able to catch Dom as Dom was trying to slip in the direction of the kick. It was really nice. It was really nice. I mean, it wasn't nice for Dominic Cruz. If you're a fan of Dominic Cruz, it was pretty fucking sad. And you now look at Cruz and you go, you were talking about how your only intention right now as a fighter is to win the belt. There is no, there's no compromise for you as a fighter. There's no, oh, I'd be content just fighting middling opposition for the rest of my career. No. All the build-up to this fight was about how Dominic wanted to compete for the belt again. He wanted to be in the who's who of bantamweight. And he just got head kicked and knocked the fuck out. So you kind of look at that and you go, eh, he's probably retire then. If this doesn't align if your expectations are where you want to be and where you actually are, if they don't align, then you kind of got to go, well, either you adjust your expectations or you retire. And I think he should probably retire because he's taken a lot of damage and he's he's been knocked down quite a few times recently. And then he got knocked the fuck out by Marlon. It was interesting, the setup, though. The interest, it, was, it was a great finish itself, but you saw it earlier on in the fight, only in the opposite stance. At one point, there was, I think the second round, I'm going to say. It was either the first or the second round, I believe. And Dominic was moving out to Vera's right, okay? And I believe Marlon was standing in Southpaw as well. And he puts up the right high kick, but just misses. Just misses. And so I think he just... I think that was something that they had very actively prepared for. But it's more difficult to catch Dom as he's moving out to the right, I feel. Whereas when he's in... You know, when you're in that open stance matchup, Southpaw versus Orthodox, and he's moving into the open side and he's stuck against the fence the way that he was, 
he was stuck against the fence when he got caught with the the high kick. Yeah, I just think the open stance, throwing the high kick that way is just a much better approach as opposed to, well, Dom was moving around the lead foot of Vera earlier on in the fight when it comes to avoiding that high kick. And it's a, it's a bit easier. It's a bit easier to avoid the high kick in that scenario. Whereas, you know, the open side high kick, you move into it a lot easier. Yeah. So that wasn't cool. Nate Landwehr in the in the co-main event. I mean, it was cool. For, it was cool for Marlon Vera. I'll, I'll say that finally. Yes, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I think he should probably just sit out and wait for a title shot. Let TJ Dillashaw versus what's his name? TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling shake itself out, and then depending on what happens with Aldo this weekend, if Aldo wins, I'd give Aldo the title shot first. But realistically, Marlon Vera can sit the fuck out if he wants. You know, I don't know who else he fights. He could fight Piotr, and actually, Jan's fighting fucking Sean O'Malley. So, you know, do whatever you want, Marlon Vera. You can sit out for however long. I believe he probably deserves a title shot. Whatever. In the co-main event, Nate Landwehr took on David Onama. That was actually a banger of a fight, one of the fights of the year. David Onama, man, looked so good in the first round. I thought he was doing a really good job landing linear kicks to the legs, threw a couple of oblique kicks and things like that. Oh, man. He was do- he was throwing same-side punches after his kicks, so he'd like throw a right roundhouse kick and then throw a straight right behind it. His jab looked really s- fucking snappy. I thought he looked great. I thought he looked sensational. And then he gassed. <laughs> and then he gassed because he hurt Nate Landwehr. Hurt him, I don't know, midway through the first round or towards the end of the first round. He hurt him bad, knocked him down, looked like he knocked him the fuck out, and then Nate Landwehr just kind of kept trucking because that's Nate fucking Landwehr for you. Yeah, I thought he was doing a good job fainting with his lead hand, stepping back, and then and then causing damage to Onama as Onama was stepping in. And then, yeah, got about midway through that second round, and Onama looked dead. So the fact that this made it to a decision, made it to a majority decision, one judge gave it a draw, which I don't think is too... I need to see which round he scored the 10-8, and I haven't seen it. But, yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah, so that was cool. Yasmin Jarakai. 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 Sorry, it's been a couple of days. I can't remember how to pronounce her name. She took on Yasmin Lucindo, who I liked Lucindo, but fuck, man, she threw some winging hooks. She looked like, she kind of looked like late, UFC career, Mike Perry, the way that he was throwing some of those hooks against Rodriguez, you're like, bro, what the fuck is that shit? <laughs> yeah, but she was she was game as fuck. Yasmin, they're both Yasmin. Yeriki, the winner, she looked good though. Oh, she looked good. She's fun. I like this chick. Good straight shot selection. Good lateral movement. She got caught with a couple of good shots here, a couple of long hooks, but... I don't know, man. I just like boxers in women's strawweight, and I thought she was showing off some decent boxing. Match her up against fucking Alexa Grasso. Just fucking send it. Just do it. I don't give a shit. We'll have fun with this shit. But they, they were both pretty young. I believe Lucindo was like 20 years old. Is 20 years old. And Jarecki is something like... Something like 23. Yeah. Wild. Fucking wild. So young. Awesome, though. Great to see... Some cool talent in that division. Mirza Khanov 
took on Devin Clark and TKO'd him. I have no further comment. Priscilla Cachoeira defeated Ariana Lipsky. Ariane Lipsky, sorry. No further comment. We don't like Pris- Priscilla Cachoeira, but it was, you know, it was a decent little TKO. Gerald Mearshaw looked fucking good against Bruno Silva. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a decent little card. Nina Nunes retired after getting a split decision. A boring as fuck split decision against Cynthia Calvillo. Fair enough, you know. Feel free to retire. She had some fucking bangers. She had a banger against Angela Hill back in the day. She had that... She had... You remember Bobby Green fighting Fazeev a couple of years ago? Or last year or whenever the fuck it was? And he surprised everyone because everyone was talking about Fazeev and like, this guy's a fucking killer. And Bobby Green goes out there and has a banger with him and very nearly wins the fight. Has an amazing third round. That's kind of what it felt like with Nina Nunes versus Tatiana Suarez. Because Nina was on a four-fight win streak, I believe. She'd beaten Jones, Libarja, Libarja? I don't know. Angela Hill, Randa Marcos, and Claudia Gedalia. The Gedalia win was pretty impressive, actually. I liked that one for her. And then she comes in against Tatiana Suarez, and Suarez is looking like a monster. She Suarez, go back and rewatch UFC 228. One of, one of my favorite cards ever, whilst I'm here. I might as well just, you know, go, fuck yeah, UFC 228, banger of a card. One more time, because I love that card. Anyways, beside the point. Tatiana Suarez was on a run. She had beaten the shit out of Carla Esparza at UFC 228, just fucking mauled her. She got that sub over Alexa Grasso earlier in 2018, beat Viviane Piera, Amanda Cooper, she dasted her, that was cool, like, yeah. And, and she just looked like a monster on The Ultimate Fighter back in 2016. Yeah, that was... Ugh. She was damn good. And Nina came in there as a major underdog. And very... She didn't she didn't win. But she looked pretty decent in that third round. And she kind of stuffed a lot of the stuff that Tatiana was trying to work on in that third round. And it was just like, oh shit, Nina. You're showing, you're showing some shit here. This is cool. Yeah. And then she more recently lost to Mackenzie Dern after a long layoff a couple of years because she had a kid with with her wife, Amanda, who you all know. <laughs> and yeah, she gets to retire on a win, so that's cool. Big fan of that. And Angela Hill also got a victory over Lupita Godinez. Unanimous decision. Who would have thunk it? Fuck. I do love seeing Angela Hill actually win a decision, though. It makes me happy because, fuck, man. She's gotten some stiff ones. There was the, I mean, the amount of fucking decisions, man. There was the Michelle Waterson one, which is contentious, but I can, now that I'm removed from the fight, I can see it going either way. The Claudia Gedalia one, oh man, that one pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, the Amanda Lemos one, that was a split decision. No. Eh. I don't know, there's just so many fights of hers where I'm like, bro, how the fuck are you not going to give it to her? Yeah. But, you know, shout out Angela Hill. She always puts on entertaining fights, at least to me. Alrighty then, we're deep into this fucking thing. It's nearly 40 minutes deep. we got to start talking about UFC 278 because there are some bangers, okay? Okay, let's talk about this. 
Tyson Pedro versus Harry Hunsucker. Actually, we're not going to talk about that very much because I don't know why Harry Hunsucker is on the fucking main card of this goddamn pay-per-view. But Tyson Pedro is fucking great, and he looked sensational in his return fight recently, which was against, who was it? I've forgotten. It was Villanueva. Yes, he looked sensational against him. And I don't think Villanueva is a particularly exceptional fighter, but it was a good return fight for Tyson regardless. And he's been working with City Kickboxing quite a bit recently. I thought his jab veins looked a lot better. His hip veins, which we we never really seen hip veins out of Tyson before. He was using them against Villanueva. We've we've always known that his kicking game is really effective. Go back and watch that fight with Ovin St. Pru, a fight which I think Tyson should have won. He hurt Ovin multiple times, and he still he still lost that fight. It was very frustrating as a Tyson Pedro fan, because you're like, damn man, you were there, you had it. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> but, yeah. Bit bit disappointing that instance. There, there have been a few times where it's like, uh, I kind of expected more out of you, Tyson. But yeah, he had that major injury in the fight with Shogun. Fucked up his leg. Fucked up his knee. I can't remember exactly what the injury was. And then he rehabbed that for a while. And then it was still fucked up. Or he fucked up his MCL as well. So he's, he was rehabbing for a long fucking time, like three and a half years, something like that. And he finally came back recently against Villanueva, got the first round finish, and now he's taking on Harry Hunsucker, who was a bit of a banger. And he's coming down, I believe. I believe he fought at heavyweight, and he got knocked out by Ty. He's been knocked out by a few people. Harry Hunsucker. He, he's not... Look, this feels like a gimme fight essentially. It feels like a very entertaining fight on paper, but it feels like a gimme fight because, you know, Justin Tuffer got the victory, got that head kick finish over over Hunsucker back in 2021 in December of last year, and Ty was able to beat him in March of last year as well. So he really doesn't like Samoans. So that's cool. We will see, though. Oh, shit, you go back far enough and Hunsucker actually has a loss to Dontel Mays back in 2016 in Hard Rock MMA. How interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that should be that should be entertaining at least, because Harry Hansucker you know, say what you will about him. I don't think he's the most technical fighter in the world, but fuck. There have been some entertaining fights with him. So I, I think that should be entertaining and I think Tyson Pedro should get the victory there. But you know. Now Yanan, do I actually know her? Have I seen her fight before? She is on a three fight loose losing streak. Why is she fighting Pudilova on the main card? At least according to Wikipedia, this is the main card. Wikipedia might have it wrong. So if Wikipedia has it wrong and this isn't actually on the main card, then I apologize. But what the fuck is happening? Odd. Anyway, let's just fuck that. I like Lucia Pudilova. She had that banger with Irene Aldana back in the day, but... You know, she's also had some boring as fuck fights since then, so, you know, whatever. Let's talk about the three main fights on this card, because they are insane. Jose Aldo is taking on Marab Balashvili. Ugh. That's terrifying. This one and Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold, they scare me. As a fan of the fighters in question, or specific fighters, Luke Rockhold, I desperately want to beat Paulo Costa, and Jose Aldo, I desperately want to beat Marab Balashvili. A little bit of bias here. 
But this, it's hard fucking fights for both of them. Marab is one of those guys who I think a lot of people forget about when they're talking about the cream of the crop in the Bantamweight division because there are so many good fighters in the Bantamweight division that are coming up or that have already established themselves. Marab is a fucking machine. That was most identifiable when he took on Marlon Marias in Marias's retirement fight, essentially, where... Marab got knocked down in the first round, nearly got finished, got fucked up, high key, and then he was able to bring it around, and in the second round, he was able to get the TKO on the ground. It was really impressive. Marlon gassed like a motherfucker, as he, as per usual, but still, still, very impressive performance from Marab. And then, oh man, some of the scrambling and some of the speed that Marab showcased in that Cody Stamen fight against a really athletic guy in Cody, in Cody Stamen. Cody is fast as fuck, and Marab was beating him to the punch so much of that contest. It was just really impressive. I was really impressed in that contest by Marab's tenacity. He's on a massive winning streak. He hasn't lost since back in 2018, and that was that that guillotine. Was that that? Ricky Simone won that fight, and it's like I think they called that a submission even though the fight had ended and Marab wasn't actually out or something like that. It was a weird finish. I mm, hmm. He also lost to Frankie Sayans back in the day on that Swanson Ortega card in 2017. I completely forgot that fight had happened. <laughs> but he's got some good wins, man. He's got some decent wins on this little run here. The Casey Kenny wins really impressive. I, I still think pretty highly of Casey Kenny. He's a tricky southpaw to deal with who has a great left high kick and left body kick and, and a mean straight left and, and a good right hook. And Marab, Marab got him. It was nice. It was impressive. You know, John Dodson, even though Dodson's on the downturn, still pretty dangerous. So, you know, eh, that's a pretty decent win regardless. Marab is the kind of motherfucker who's he's got a decent overhand right. He's fast as shit with the hands. Got some good kicks. But yes, it's it, the tenacity with the takedown is going to be a bit of a problem for Aldo to deal with, particularly at this junction in his career. He's been able to... Well, thinking back on it, who's he fought more recently? He's fought Marlon Vera, who's going to give him space, who who works relatively slowly, who does take a bit of time to heat up. And then when Marlon had effectively heated up going into that third round, Aldo took Marlon down for the entire time and essentially just sat in guard. And it was, it was impressive because it's like, hey, cool, didn't realize you could do that, Aldo, but I guess you fucking can, huh? And then... Against Pedro Munoz, he's not—he uh, can put on a decent pace, but it's, it's nothing particularly crazy, you know. And he had his low kicks taken away from him by Aldo because Aldo was checking the kick so effectively. So it's like eh, his main thing—I mean, he pushes the pace on guys as he did against Jimmy Rivera through those low kicks. And the fact that he had the low kicks taken away from him and you know nullified meant that his pace was significantly reduced. So. Yeah, Aldo didn't have to deal with a crazy pace in that fight just by virtue of his checking. And then against Rob Vaughn, he did have to deal with a crazy pace, but he spent a lot of that fight just slipping and looking for counters, and then he would blast that 1-2 or the or the 3-2 down the middle, and he would just hurt the fuck out of Rob Vaughn. And there were, there were points in that fight where he was able to kind of just sit on top and just do his thing on the ground because, you know, he knocked Rob down. But... Yeah, he kind of, whilst he did have to deal with a guy who pushes a tremendous pace, he was also dealing with a guy who had a clear power advantage over. So he could he could just push him back with a big shot and it would create a bit of hesitation in Rob Font because Rob would get knocked the fuck out otherwise. So 
Aldo was kind of lucky in that fight just by virtue of his his incredible power. I don't know if it's going to work against Marab Valashvili. Valashvili has a great chin, has a great fucking chin as we saw against Marlon Marais. So we'll see, we'll see. I, I just think it's going to be a very difficult fight for Jose. Expect to watch him feeding the single leg a lot and trying to push on the head. At his age, is he going to be, at his age and experience, with all the miles on him, is he going to be as quick at, you know, feeding the single leg, getting the wizard, and creating space like he used to against guys like Chad Mendez? Is he going to be able to do that as quickly as he used to? We'll see. I hope so, because I would love to see him fight for a championship. I would fucking adore that. But I think this is going to be a very difficult fight for him. I think on the feet, you've got to be thinking that he's going to be looking for the left hook. He's got to be, yeah, look, left hook to the body is is Aldo's money shot. And I think he can determine a lot of this fight just by virtue of his his educated jab. I think Marab's going to struggle at landing one or two punches. Like, the initial two punches in a combination, if you're an Aldo fan, you don't have to worry about too much. It's mainly going to be the the shifting combination work from Marab as he steps forward with long exchanges. That's going to be where the issues lie because as we all know, Aldo is really, really good fundamentally when it comes to his defense. He's got gorgeous slips. He's got incredible pivots. Watch that rematch with Frankie Edgar. His pivoting work in that fight is insanely good for mixed martial arts. Insanely good. But because of that commitment to defensive fundamentals, what often happens is he gets tired. He's slipping all the time. He's trying to avoid all these shots. He's keeping his hands moving. He's taking shots on the shoulders. He's rolling under strikes and coming out with, with counters himself. And when he throws counters, he doesn't he doesn't hold back. He's throwing monstrous shots. So, yeah. Marav's going to keep him working with long combinations. And if you're an Aldo fan, you're hoping the left hook to the body is going to be able to slow Marab down. Marab's not going to be able to kick the... He's not going to be able to go to the calf kick effectively because Aldo's so good at checking those. And he's really good at checking thigh kicks as well. I mean, it's fucking Jose Aldo. He's really good at that. But... Yeah, I think I think if you're Aldo, you're playing a counter-striking game here. You're playing a counter-striking game and you're looking for your rear hand uppercut into left hook. You're looking for you're looking for your counter jab as well as Marab is is coming forward. And when Marab gets fed the single leg, look for Aldo to land big shots on the break. If you're Marab, you're you're trying to look for those double legs. You're trying to create exchanges and you're looking for elbows on on in the clinch, you know, drop for the double leg or get, or get double underhooks and kind of push Aldo around and then come out with, with elbows out of the clinch, you know, and then shoot back in. Kind of the Colby Covington approach. Shoot takedowns, separate to land some shots, whether they're elbows, punches, kicks, whatever, knees, and then shoot back in. Yeah, I think he should be working on the... I honestly think he should be working on the body lock primarily here. You know? Get to the body lock and work off of that. Even if you don't get the takedown, you can stall pretty effectively there. I mean, Alexander Volkanovsky had some success pushing Aldo up to the fence and just getting underhooks and working in the clinch in that range. He didn't really shoot for many takedowns. He didn't need to because Aldo's going to go balls to the wall to avoid those. Whereas I think he's a little more hesitant to just... use all of his energy if it's double underhooks or it's over under in those ranges he's gonna he's gonna bide his time and he's gonna look for openings 
you know? He like think of the first Chad Mendes fight. He he got kind of stalled up against the wall for a while and then, you know, he was able to get a single collar tie and separate for a second and then land a knee as Mendes tried to shoot for the takedown again. So He's a little more calculating when you get into those body lock exchanges. And I think if I'm Marab, that's what I want. I want him to waste time, essentially. Because Aldo, Aldo's going to be at the disadvantage because it's almost guaranteed that he's not going to be throwing the kind of activity, the kind of volume that Marab's going to be throwing. Marab's going to be coming out with left hooks just constantly. Just constantly. It's going to be overhand rights into left hooks till the day you fucking die. And then take down attempts off of that. So if I'm Marab, I want to get him in the body lock and I want to eat up as much time as possible with control. And then landing shots when I can. Landing knees in the clinch when I can. And just just push an Aldo to the fence. And if I'm Aldo, I just want to avoid that as much as possible. If he if Marab gets me on the cage, I want to look for that single collar tie and I want to turn him. I want to turn him as quickly as possible and separate. And then on the outside, like I said, left hooks to the body. If you can throw an outside low kick, if you can pull old Aldo out, then please do. But I'm not counting on that, honestly. That's going to be a very difficult fight for both men to win, but it should be incredibly entertaining. Probably incredibly sad if you're a Jose Aldo fan, but I'm excited to watch it regardless. This is definitely the biggest test of Marab Balashvili's career thus far, and I'm excited to see whether he, he rises to the occasion or not. And then you've got Paulo Costa taking on Luke Rockhold. Oh my god, this fight is so fucking cool. It could be terrible, but in like a really entertaining way. It could be just straight up fucking banger. It could be a brutal finish. It probably will be a brutal finish. I don't know who gets finished, but someone will likely get finished. Oh, I'm so excited for this fight. I'm ridiculously excited for this fight. And I'm terrified because I love Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold is this little beautiful introvert who tries to sell himself as an alpha male. As this like, you know, this fucking manifestation of toxic masculinity. It's like he wants everyone to believe that's who he is. He wants everyone to believe he is, quote, a samurai. But he's not. He's just a dude who doesn't know what to do with his fucking hands. And he's the kind of guy who wants to go out there. Like, he wants to be the badass who beats the shit out of people on the feet and throws that meaty left body and high kick and he throws, you know, hard shots but realistically, he is a grappler, and he's a fucking great grappler. It's just he can't initiate takedowns, you know, effectively. And it's so fucking frustrating to watch. Jan Blahovic just defended so many fucking takedowns. Ugh. But he's just, he's so compelling to watch and view. And he's coming up against a guy who, oh, is allergic to a bad fight. Is just allergic to it. Even if he gets beat up as he did against Israel Adesanya. That was still a really entertaining fight. <laughs> but wow. He's coming off of a banger with Marvin Vittori. A fight that he might, you know, was pretty fucking close, but he also had a point deducted because of dumb fuck shit. Like framing on the face with it with his fingers pointed out into the eye of Marvin Vittori. So Jason Herzog just said, fuck you, I warned you. And deducted him a point. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. You shouldn't be framing with your with your fucking fingers pointed out with your dumb ass, you fucking idiot. That's against the rules. <laughs> so yeah, he had a banger though. It was really good. So many times in that fight where you're thinking to yourself, wow, Polo is completely gassed. He has nothing for for Vittori in this instance. And then he just fires back with a monstrous overhand right, or he throws that 
Oh my God, his right body kicks. I never get tired of watching them. He turns them over perfectly. They have incredible technique. Incredible technique. Oh, and he showcased in that fight with Vittori, he showcased an ability to throw on the back foot a lot more than he had in pretty much any other fight he'd been in. So I thought that was really impressive. I think he does still kind of, he covers up too much when guys throw the jab. Like, he did it against your eye hole. In my, in my fight, not my fight, in my comprehensive guide to Israel Adesanya, in the final portion of the video, I did a brief preview of Adesanya versus Costa. And one of the things we talked about at length was, hey, look at what Uriah Hall did. Uriah was orthodox, so you can't blast that right body kick to the open side the way that you can against southpaws because because Costa has fought the vast majority of his UFC career against southpaws, okay? Like Yoel Romero, southpaw. Johnny Hendricks, southpaw. Uh, Bambos, southpaw. So many of these guys are southpaws. And... Uriah Hall wasn't. He was orthodox, so he, he he didn't feel as comfortable throwing that rear body kick because if he threw it, he he might very well hit the lead elbow of Uriah because Uriah was keeping a decent little high guard or a decent you know his 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 arms were up by his chest at the very least, so his elbow was in the way of the lead rib. So you know it's a diffi- it's a lot more difficult when it's not the open side that you're aiming at. Okay. And so in that fight, he couldn't rely on that weapon as much. And so he's relying on things like the switch kick to the body, which he's not as proficient with as he is the rear body kick. And he was getting really stunted and stifled by the jab of Uriah. Uriah would just throw one jab at a time. There's a point in, I think, the second round where where Uriah just throws like 10 jabs in a row. And it's not like he was throwing jab, jab, cross, or jab, jab, jab left hook, nothing like that, it was literally just jab, 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 and Polo, for like a good 15 seconds, had no idea what the fuck to do, good 20, 30 seconds, had no idea, he just pulled back, he pulled back at the hips, and he get that, it's like he was trying to play fucking Philly shell, it was like he was trying to shoulder roll everything, it's like, bro, throw a fucking left hook counter or something, like, throw a pull counter right hand, it's very clear what Uriah is doing, he's throwing hard jabs at you, just fucking... You're bigger, dude. What are you doing? You've you've shown an ability throughout this fight already that you can bully Uriah Hall. Why are you respecting these jabs as much as you are when you know exactly what the timing is of them? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes he gets caught up just trying to avoid every single individual shot that gets thrown back his way. He doesn't counter simultaneously very much, and that's kind of what hurt him against Israel Adesanya, because Izzy can counter simultaneously, and he did. That's how the finish occurred. Because, what's it called? Costa threw a jab and got countered with a left hook. So, you know. Yeah. If I'm Luke Rockhold, what I'm hoping, as a fan of Luke Rockhold, is that his striking has improved and his jab has improved. I thought his jab looked a bit better against Yoel Romero than it had in previous fights. But then against Jan Blahovic, you didn't really see that. So, yeah. It's also worth noting, against Romero, that's a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup. So, the jab works a bit better. Whereas in Southpaw Orthodox, the jab is kind of, it's a bit weird. A lot of people in the open stance matchup, they prefer the rear hand because it doesn't have anything blocking it. So you can kind of just throw it down the middle. Whereas in a in a closed stance matchup, there's a lot more jabbing, you know? So yeah, I think, well, this is an open stance matchup. So I'm hoping that Luke, 
I'm hoping that he's worked well with Perillo and they've worked really hard on his jab because Perillo has done a great job bringing out the jabs of so many fucking championship level fighters. Mackenzie Dern's striking has looked so much better ever since she moved and started working with Perillo. Same thing with Marlon Vera, obviously. And yeah, I think he's just doing a great job with fighters at uh, not so much RDA. RDA went there and I, I don't think his striking got that much better. I don't think that there's a clearly delineated dif- difference between his jab prior to working with Perillo and then after working with Perillo. But, you know, you kind of major results with every single person. But yeah, I think his work with Perillo has hopefully improved his jab a bit. And I think if if that's the case, he can give a lot of issues to Paulo. And I think, you know, if you're Luke, you want to throw that jab, you want to feint the jab and then go with the left body kick and the left high kick. This is basically a battle of the rear body kicks. And it's so fucking exciting. It's so exciting. If I'm Luke, I want to bundle him over. Throw the left body kick. And then when Paulo comes back with his own body kick, because Paulo's, he's a man of integrity. He's a man of, you know, oh, wow, you're going to throw that and you're going to land that? I'm going to throw a big fucking fucking meaty shot back at you to get you back for that one, you know, because I am a man. <laughs> and, you know, if he throws that right body kick back at you, you got to catch it, honestly. Catch that shot and bundle him over, because your takedowns, Luke, are not that good. <laughs> now, now I say that, but against Vittori, Vittori in the second round did hit a really nice body lock take, takedown on Paulo. Yeah, in that second round, he, he hit a nice body lock takedown. And the takedowns that Luke generally goes for are off of double underhooks, and he tries to strip one leg away, and then if he can, he'll try and block one leg and elevate. And he'll he'll look for things like lat drops, or he'll just, you know, he'll look for trips and stuff off of those double underhooks. But yeah, pretty much all of his takedowns emerge off of the double underhooks. And that's where, you know, he's he's strong, but for some reason, he just doesn't have, he doesn't convert those takedowns as often as he needs to. But, you know, Vittori had some success with the with the body lock takedowns against Polo. So maybe that's the approach. Maybe he does go back to the well and, and use what he's familiar with in this scenario because it has been successful with Costa before. But yeah, I think if if Luke gets any opportunity to play on the ground with Polo, even though Polo's his his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is legit, I don't give a shit. You go to the ground, Luke. Go to the fucking ground. Because if he gets backed up in this fight, you know what you're going to see from Paulo Costa. If Luke at any point ends up with his back to the cage, oh God, it's going to be left hooks to the body, Right hooks to the Polo can throw both hooks to the body. He'll throw that left hook to the body, straight right, come up with a left hook, and then he'll he'll fucking mash you with that rear hand uppercut. Fucking he got that rear hand uppercut on Johnny Hendricks a couple of times, and every time you're like, Jesus Christ, that was a bit rude, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> it felt mean. It felt like it felt really really rude. <laughs> so yeah, I think Luke cannot get backed up. He cannot get backed up, you know. Push kicks could be quite effective. Don't throw the inside low kicks naked, Luke, for the love of Christ. Because Polo's, even when he was tired against Vittori, he was throwing these monstrous overhand rights and these monstrous straight rights, and he was cracking Vittori. You know, in the fourth and the fifth rounds as well, it wasn't just like first and second rounds. 
when he was tied in the fourth and the fifth rounds, he's throwing these these massive counter shots. And all I'm thinking of while watching that is I can see third round, Luke Rockhold throws a naked inside low kick. And because it's an open stance matchup, you have to move further to land the inside low kick. You know, you've got, if you're in a close stance matchup and you throw a kick, you throw an outside low kick to the lead leg, you don't have to travel very far because the leg's right in front of you. It's right in front of the leg that that you're kicking with. But if you throw a lead, if you throw an inside low kick to the lead leg in an open stance matchup, you have to turn your hip over a little further. You have to throw for a little bit longer, and that extra quarter of a second is perhaps just enough time for Paulo Costa to take your fucking head off. And I am scared. I am very scared about that as a Luke Rockhold fan. So yeah, I think this fight has opportunities for both men to win. I think Rockhold's got to show some fucking levels. He's got to show a better jab. He has to. It's a necessity in this fight. And for the love of God, Luke, sometimes he throws that straight right and he falls forward he shifts forward but it's not like it's like old school Dustin Poirier you remember how Poirier used to throw the straight left and then fall forward into orthodox and then throw the right but he did it like he'd do it kind of like Derek Brunson he'd fall forward it wasn't a calculated movement where his feet are under him at all times it's like it's like his feet are struggling to keep up with his chest with his chin you know He's thrown his hands and his feet didn't even get the fucking memo. And that's kind of what Luke does sometimes. He'll throw the straight left and he'll shift forward into orthodox off of it. And it doesn't feel like it's an intentional shift. It feels like he needs to catch his own weight with the, with the straight left. Because he's, he's overcommitting to it so much. And I'm very scared. I'm very scared that he's going to get caught with a big rear hand uppercut off of that. Or, or maybe pull a... Paulo fades away and then comes back with a right hand. Or, ah, uh, here's the problem. He, he Luke's going to come forward. What, what's going to end up fucking happening? Luke's going to come forward with a straight left, shift forward into orthodox, and Paulo's going to land that tight little hook that he landed, that counter hook that he landed against Yoel Romero. Remember the first round, first minute or so of the fight when they both knocked each other down? Costa got the first knockdown of the fight, and he got it off of that left hook counter as Romero was stepping in. And I just see that happening again. <laughs> I can totally see... I can totally see Luke throwing the straight left and just leaving his chin out there on a platter and Paulo landing a counter left hook. And we're all like, well, there you go. That's the end of Luke Rockhold. Because Luke's talking about being a champion, talking about potentially contending again, and, and how... He knows this is the end of his career, and he desperately wants to be in the mix. You've got to win this fight, dude. You have to win this fight against Paulo if you want that to be the case. So yeah. In in summary, I think if you're going to make a bet, don't bet on this fight because it's just... I honestly think it's kind of a pick em. I'd probably say Paulo Costa is... He should be the favorite. I believe he is the favorite by some margin. but. Paulo's got issues. He's got problems that can be exploited. And whilst Luke does gas pretty easily, <laughs> I think he does have some good weapons. He can keep distance with a long left teep, which he doesn't use that much, but 
he sometimes mixes that in with the mixes that in with the body kick and the high kick, like the roundhouse kicks. That is, and you know what? He should be throwing a lot of that question mark kick. We didn't see. I can't remember off the top of my head. He, well, he didn't throw it against Jan Blahovic. I don't believe. I don't believe he threw that question mark kick against Jan. He hasn't been throwing it much recently. He hasn't been fighting much recently. That said, but yeah, I think he needs to bring the question mark kick in here against Polo because I just think that'd be a good weapon to utilize. Get over the lead shoulder. If, he, if he's throwing with the, the lead leg, which he usually does. He usually does throw with the right leg, I find. So if that's the case, then he should be throwing question mark kicks over the shoulder of of Polo. Get Polo to start kind of slipping away, slipping to the inside angle, and then throw the left body kick or the, the left high kick. And he might slip into it. No, he's not. No, he won't do that. But I'm I'm just saying, get him leaning more inside, slipping to the inside. You got to give him some weapons. You got to give him some right side weapons because Luke is so left oriented that sometimes, besides his his counter right hook that he throws as people are stepping in on him, which is you know that weapon is very foreseeable. It's very predictable. He got knocked out by Yoa Romero and Michael Bisping because of that weapon. You know, because it's so predictable and he moves in a in a straight line when he throws that right hook. Besides that weapon, he doesn't really have many weapons with his right side. Sometimes he'll throw a spinning side kick. He threw it against Jacare at one point. You know, he sometimes throws it, but he doesn't throw it very often. So he, do, he doesn't have a lot of options for convincing guys that they don't want to go to his right. So I think he's got to pull out the question mark kick. Either he's got to show a really educated, really good jab or he's got to throw that question mark kick, or just like a, a switch kick to the head or something, a switch kick to the body. Just convince Paulo to not be moving out to his right, because I think if you're Paulo Costa, you want to be looking for lead foot dominance the whole time. You want to be stepping around that lead foot, and you want to be coming down the middle with the straight right when you do so. So yeah, it's a difficult fight for Luke Rockhold to win, but it is winnable. It's just going to take a big effort, and it should be a banger. Whether it ends in the first 10 seconds or whether it goes the full distance, it should be incredible. I am very excited to watch it. If it hits the ground, even more exciting because Luke Rockhold on the ground is money. So, yeah, that should be cool. In the main event, which we haven't even talked about and it's been an hour and 10 minutes, Kamaru Usman is taking on Leon Edwards. Ugh, that fight gets me fucking wet, bro. Fucking wet. Leon Edwards, I think his work in the clinch is so sensational. We're not going to talk about this fight very long because I don't have as much to say about this one as Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa because I think these fighters are so damn, like, perfect. Not perfect, but, you know, it's easier to talk about guys who have glaring holes in their game, you know? Because you can point to that and you can go, well, that's an issue. How is that going to match up against this person here, you know? It's a whole lot easier to do commentary when there are big things staring at you in the face. Whereas Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards, the mistakes are a lot more subtle. The issues are a lot more subtle. The thing with Usman that I have now is, you know, I, I remember back to that Dos Andros fight that he had in what, like 2018, something like that. And I just didn't like his entries for takedowns in that fight. Sometimes, he, well, he'd push Dos Andros back. He'd push RDA back to the fence, and RDA's he gets concerned with the hands, and then Usman would like lean over at the waist and do this labored single leg, and 
his chin's just hanging out there. And you're just thinking to yourself, wow, someone should take advantage of that. And that, that's why I bet against him versus Tyron Woodley, because I was like, Usman does not have the speed at this point to challenge Tyron. But he didn't really need the speed. All he needed was his incredible top pressure and his amazing cardio. And he also he had some power in that fourth round when he was flurrying on Tyron as well. But yeah, I think... I, I don't know, man. He's just... His takedowns against... Or his takedown attempts, his entries, more recently, have, I thought, looked pretty solid. I mean, we're, we're specifically talking about the one entry against Colby, because I believe he did get Colby down. Some people classify it as a takedown. I don't think the UFC officially recognizes that as a takedown, what, what Kamaru got on Colby in their rematch. But it was pretty fucking close, and I thought the entry itself was really good. So... You know, I think, and Kamara's got really good reactive takedowns as well. Go back and watch the Masvidal fight. If you go back to the first round, there's one instance where Masvidal, you know, goes for, uh, what is it? I think it's like a left hook straight right or something like that, or throws a right hand, and Usman is in on the hips real quick. Masvidal is able to stave off the takedown, yes, but Usman is there, and he's on him so quickly. So, yeah, I... I remember back in that RDA fight thinking, nah, his takedowns, he's too old, his knees are rickety at this point. He's not able to shoot as effectively as, as he used to, but nah, he's he's still fast as fuck. He's still fast. He's getting older now. I'm trying to think, how old is Kamaru Usman? He is now 35, which isn't too bad for welterweight, but it's, it's getting up there. A few more years and he's definitely retiring, I'd say. But yeah, I think his speed is still there. And, I mean, he's going to need all of it because, fuck, man, the speed of Leon Edwards can be really impressive. Leon is a fucking sensational fighter. Great distance management. Sensational jabs from both stances. The body kicking, so sexy. We all, we, we love a good body kicker. That's why we're so excited for Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa, baby. Yeah, he's got great body kicking from both stances. His outside low kicking from orthodox is really good. I think it's just going to be interesting to watch the battle of the jabs, at least early on, because I think Kamaru takes a little bit longer to get his timing with the jab, whereas I think Leon's a little bit more on it from the get-go. But I think it's it's going to be interesting, because a lot of the striking success for... I mean, look at the Gilbert Burns fight for Usman. His fadeaway stuff really started to come alive in the second and the third rounds. and then. Well, I mean, he knocked down Burns with a jab. His jabs started really coming alive in those rounds as well. You know, whereas initially, he just didn't have the timing down, and he threw a jab, and Burns came over the top with an overhand right, hurt him, nearly finished the fight, or it looked like it was close. Looked like initially. But, you know, Usman recovered pretty quickly. It was pretty impressive, honestly, his recovery time. Yeah, so I think it takes him a little bit to get going in that regard with his jab and his the timing on his fadeaway right hand, but or his fadeaway left hand, he he can stand in both orthodox and southpaw. But once he gets going, he's pretty fucking dangerous. I think if you're Leon Edwards, keep doing what you're doing in terms of the clinch work, because whilst Usman is a monster, he's fucking massive, he's powerful as shit. Leon Edwards, his elbows out of the clinch, his his knees in the clinch. Whoa, 
They're fucking good. They're good. And to be honest with you, Kamaru is getting older. And he has talked about repeatedly the frailty of his knees. So I'm thinking if you get in the clinch with him and you get a hard whizzer and you get bicep control on the opposite side, you can shoot those knees. And Leon might very well be confident doing so because he, he believes he can stave off the takedown. He can he can land that knee and then he can shoot an underhook quickly and he can he can prevent Usman dropping down effectively and capitalizing on those knees or, you know, on those elbows. I think this is a really tight fight. I think once it hits the fourth and the fifth rounds, I think we'll start to favor Usman if, if it makes it that long. I think if you're Leon, you have to win the first three rounds. Or you've got to win the first two rounds and then hope on taking the fourth or the fifth. Because, I mean, Usman's really good going long. He's got sensational cardio. He's always had sensational cardio. His jab's great. He can rely on his fundamentals. And he can rely on fundamentals at range. Whereas Leon, as the fight goes on, the hands start slipping a little more. He relies on the clinch a little more. And I just don't think it's going to be as reliable for him for him in this context because Usman is really strong. Even though Usman's speed is perhaps not, you know, it's not top grade, it's not perfect anymore. He's still strong as fuck. And if you enter the clinch with him in those fourth and the fifth rounds and you're a little bit lazy, you're going to be eating shots. And then on the outside, Usman's, I think he's, he's going to really start working. He's going to be working his double jab cross in those fourth and the fifth rounds and causing some issues for, for Leon then. So yeah, if I'm Leon, i got to win the first two rounds on activity, and then maybe I can take the third round off and then come back in the fourth. But yeah, you got to work. you got to work hard. He's got to work for long long body kicks as well, long push kicks to the stomach and the sternum. Got to maintain the distance against Usman because I believe Leon would have a greater range Leon Edwards' reach. We're going to look this up. 74 inches, apparently, 188 centimeters, versus Kamara Usman. So 74 inches versus 76 inches. Well, fuck. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> According to a very simple Google search, Usman actually has the, yeah, he has the reach advantage. So I think, hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, but Leon Edwards has really fucking long legs. You, Israel Adesanya was saying this on his YouTube channel this week. You've got to, they've got to start measuring reach for legs because it is a factor. It is a very, it's a very significant factor in a fight. I think, based purely off of the images in my head, I think Leon Edwards has longer legs, and I think he's been using. He's been using long push kicks from both the rear and the lead sides, both southpaw and orthodox. He's been using them a lot more frequently recently and having a lot more success with them recently and using them to set up his body kicks, his roundhouse body kicks as well. So, you know, I think those are the kinds of things he should be opting for. He should be jabbing and trying to time Usman early when Usman's perhaps a little bit you know, he's trying to work out his own timing. And then as the fight goes a little longer, that's when you start seeing a lot more of the long push kicks, longer, rangier shit. 
that's just nah, that's just my opinion though. And then obviously if it gets in tight, land elbows. You've got to land elbows. And avoid getting put on your fucking back. <laughs> uh, I can see Usman trying to clinch and getting, you know, getting an underhook on one side and trying to control the other wrist. And just trying to mitigate damage. Just trying to rack up control time and mitigate damage from Leon. Because Leon's going to want to break and on the break, land elbows, land knees, do those kinds of things. And he's going to want to get his knee out and be able to knee consistently. So I can see Edwards just flattening him against the cage. Not Edwards. I can see Usman flattening Edwards against the cage and just keeping him there as long as he possibly can. Working. Honestly, fuck it. Bring back the feet stomps, the foot stomps. They're hiking a decent little weapon to avoid getting an exchange broken up. Just just use them, honestly. if I, Honestly, if I'm Usman, I want to fight. If I'm in the clinch, I want to fight in a very conservative way. And if we're, on, if we're on the outside, I'm showing my jab, feinting a jab, and then I'm pulling away and landing counter right hands over the top or counter straights. I think... I think fadeaway straight rights will be the key for Usman in this fight, as well as things like outside low kicks. As when, when Edwards is in in orthodox, that is. Not as many low kicks if it's Southpaw versus orthodox, but you know, if they're both in orthodox, because they, they'll switch a bit, I believe. If they're both in orthodox or they're both in Southpaw, then I think Usman should be throwing outside low kicks. Same with Edwards, I guess, you know. I don't think either of them will really check that much, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really great fight. Honestly, I have no idea who will win that one. I think Leon Edwards is so fucking good. He's so fucking good. His fight with RDA is incredible. He's so impressive in that fight. Same thing with Usman, I guess. You know, Usman looked really good in his fight with RDA. RDA just does that for these top-class welterweight contenders. But, yeah. I think Leon Edwards, he can very he can very much win the belt. I think he's very deserving of fighting for the belt. So I think this will be a sensational rematch. Can't wait to watch it. Yes. Yeah. What the fuck else is going on this weekend or this week? We've got an LFA card. We've got a KSW card, which actually looks kind of good. There's a PFL card. Kill. Kill. There's also a Contender Series card, which is on... Oh, it was on the other day. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. On that PFL card, there's actually a couple of decent little fights here. I believe. I'm so confused. It looks really weird and confusing on Tapology, the order of this event. Chris Wade's fighting Brendan Lofnane. Lofnane? I can't I forget how to pronounce his name. Yeah. That one, I believe that's the Featherweight semi-final. I believe. Kayla Harrison's fighting Jindrova. Okay. Whatever. I, I don't really care so much for Kayla Harrison. That might be interesting, though. Jindrova's better than some of the bums she's been fighting recently. So, that's cool. Who else is on this card that I recognize the name of? Not a whole lot, if I'm being honest. Marcin Held. is fighting Miles Price. That's cool. I liked Held. I thought he was good in Bellator back in the day. And then he moved over to the UFC and he did not look as good as I hoped he would. <laughs> yeah, he lost to fucking Diego Sanchez back in the day, didn't he? Wow. Wow. <laughs> he beat Patricia Pitbull and, you know, 
Dave Jansen in Bellator. And then he came over to the UFC, lost to Diego Sanchez, Joe Lozon, and Damir Hadjovic, like back to back to back. <laughs> then he beat Nazrat Harkbarast. And then I believe, did he leave the UFC after that? I think he did. <laughs> wow, that was really rude. I don't mean to laugh, but yeah. I like Held. I think he's a fun grappler when he grapples. So yeah, I'd be excited to watch that a little bit. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of all just, we're waiting for the real main event of this year, which is one on Amazon Prime. That one looks fucking dope as shit. So I'm, I'm just high-key waiting for, when is that? I'm, I'm looking it up now because I've completely forgot. MMA. It'll be headlined. Yep, cool. Can you tell me when it is? Friday, August 26th for North Americans. So probably the 25th for me. So that's next weekend. Is it next weekend? When is that? Oh, it's like, I think it's a it's a Friday for you guys. It's a Thursday for me. So that's cool. Very excited for that card. That card should be a banger. So yes, we'll probably talk about that next week if I actually do a fucking... If I do a podcast, if I don't do a podcast, well, sorry guys, sorry bitches, deal with this shit, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, I'll catch on the flip side, I'm sorry half of this fucking, the vast majority of this podcast was either me talking about capitalism and the difference between monopolies and monopsonies, and then the other half was just talking about Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa and how fucking terrified I am of that fight for Luke Rockhold. So, yeah. <laughs> but that, that that's what it is. Luke Rockhold fanboy here. What can I say? Anyway, I'll catch you next time. Bye, bitches.